Welcome to the Friends of a Feather podcast. I am your host, Ren Robbins, and I'm excited that you're here. This is the place where you will feel encouraged as I share my friends' God stories with you. Whether you are on your commute to work, folding the laundry, or taking me with you on your walk, I pray that you will feel seen by God and be spurred on to honor Him with the gifts and talents that He has given you. This is episode 157 with my friend Amy Gannett. Amy is a writer, but also a wife, mother, and church planter with her family in Greenville, North Carolina. Amy equips women to know and love God through His Word, through theological training and verse-by-verse studies. And we are continuing our series on biblical literacy this month in January, so I am so excited to welcome Amy Gannett to the podcast. Well, welcome, Amy, to the Friends of a Feather podcast. This is so fun. Thanks so much for having me. I just said earlier, I can't believe I haven't had you on the podcast yet. I've heard you speak uh, a few times and even met you in person. And this is the first time that we're actually talking on the podcast. So welcome. I know. And I love it. It's so rare for me to have gotten to be in real life friends with people before I'm internet friends with them. But you are the exception to that rule. We were in life, in real life. We met (laughs) at a theology event and I've always Uh just thought, gosh, it would just be so fun if we all lived in the same place and could hang out all the time. No, so, right? This is just fun. We can be just, internet friends after real life friends. Exactly. I love and that, that order. Is a, a good thing. A good thing. Mm-hmm. You were talking about a theology event that you were at the past two years. And the first year was last year when I got to hear from you. And then even this year, I got to hear from you. I was just online since I had um, COVID. And so I could yeah. not be there. And y'all were glad that I could not be there, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> but I'm so glad um, that we got to meet in person last, um, last year. And then this past year, um, at a safe distance, people were able to congregate together. And I heard it was amazing. And what I watched online was great as well. So, um, let's dive in. I want to talk to you about so many things and oh, I know fun. your, your little baby girl, seven month old Emerson is probably taking a nap. So I know that these moments are, are, probably very fine-tuned for you. And so let's jump in. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you, Amy. I know you and your husband, Austin, are church planters. And I want to hear a little bit about that and about your day-to-day life. So go for it. Yeah. So we, my husband and I met in seminary. We went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary up in the Boston area. And then we worked outside of the church for several years. We worked non-ministry jobs um, for a season. And then the Lord called us to Eastern North Carolina, which is the area of the country where my husband grew up. And um, after being the pastor of church planting at a church for a couple of years, we were sent out to plant um, Trinity Church Greenville here in Greenville, North Carolina. And um, it has been a 18 month journey of church planting at this point, And it has been such a gift. Um, my husband and I get to work together every day, which is just 
so much fun. Um, I know not every couple is wired that way, but we are wired for that. We love working together and we have gotten to meet some of the most wonderful people and see a community of faith that is thriving here in Greenville, even in the midst of a lot of 2020 challenges. I mean, 2020 is not the ideal year to be planting a church. Let me tell you, but the (laughs) Lord is just so gracious. It's like just this year of seeing God's faithfulness on display And just a reminder that we might be doing, we might be thinking we're doing the work, but gosh, God is just doing the work because we can't sustain a church through the ups and downs of 2020, through global pandemic and national unrest and so much um, tension in our communities and um, a really divisive political season. I mean, goodness, we can't support a church, but the Lord has really seen it fit to grow our little body of believers um, in this season. So that has been such a gift. So my day-to-day, I work full-time for our church plant. Um, So I'm the director of discipleship there, which means I oversee women's ministry, kids ministry, and our small groups. Um, So I do a lot of like a lot of administrative tasks um, with that, but I put together like discussion guides for our small groups and um, kids curriculum and plan women's events. So all of those um, fit into my week. And then I also run Tiny Theologians, which is my small business. Um, so on any given day and every given day, pretty much other than Sundays, you can find me in my garage filling orders because our garage is like my you know, substitute warehouse right now. So, um, so yeah, that's what my day to day looks like. And then I have this sweet little girl that you uh, mentioned, Emerson, she's seven months. Um, our plan was to be stay at home, work from home parents, um, and church planters anyway. So 2020 hasn't surprised us in that way. Um, but we both get to be home and we both get to parent her and we both get to work from home. So, um, we sort of, um, shuffle back and forth with who gets to be with Emerson. And so, um, so much of my day is spent on the floor playing with her, which is just, you know, that's just such a gift. It's such a gift to work and it's such a gift to be able to be with her. So, um, the Lord has just really blessed us abundantly. And I see that even it's so good for you to ask what my day-to-day looks like. Cause it's just, gosh, it's a reminder. God has just been good to us. Hmm. Well, and I love that you said that. And I was going to ask, how did you, how do you balance it all? And, and you are a busy woman because of the fact that you are planning and doing church planning um, full-time, but how neat that you can do it at home and your husband can do it alongside of you and have Emerson, uh, to see that and to be in the midst of that. What a blessing. That's, that's amazing. It really is. That's great. Okay. Mm-hmm. So how does church planting work? So you are planting this church in this area. Will you go and plant other churches or is this, you are here for the long haul? How does that work? Yeah. So church planting can be approached a couple of different ways. Um, So yes, there are church planters that are starters. And so they kind of move to a new area. They kind of start a fire and um, then they move on to another area and they start another fire there. And that is um, sort of one approach to it. Another approach is to say, we're sort of putting down roots and planting our lives here in this community. um, And we're going to weather every season with this church as long as the Lord calls us here. And so that the latter is our approach. We have said the Lord has called us to Greenville and um, we will stay here and we will love and care for and serve and minister to the body of Trinity Church Greenville until the Lord calls us away. Um, And so for us, it's a long-term calling. It's a long-term investment. Um, I actually think, I think there's value in both 
approaches um, to church planting. But one of the reasons this just sits right with me um, is that I see, we see some of these cultural shifts taking place in the United States. Um, during the revival movements, we could see, you know, big tent revival meetings would sort of fan the flame and God would do big um, way. The spirit was doing big waves of conversion um, and recommitment to Christ um, in early American history. We see that, but then we sort of look at what he's been doing in different, different cultural settings across the globe where the soil is a little harder. Um, it's a slower work and it's a more intentional work and it's a longer work. So my husband and I met in seminary in the Boston area, like I said, and New England is harder soil. Um, the church doesn't have this cultural presence like it does maybe in the South. And so um, the church planting strategy there is much more long-term. It's a slower work. It's a, um, it's a much more lifelong investment sort of endeavor. And so um, you're not going to see a church plant, you know, a hundred churches in, you know, 25 years. You're just not going to see that in New England, but you are going to see, you know, a hundred churches in a hundred years, maybe be planted. Mm -hmm. And so we are actually, we sort of saw that in our experience in seminary. And we actually have started to notice some of the cultural changes take place across the U.S., including the South, which can be considered the Bible Belt or the Church Belt. Um, we're actually seeing some of those cultural changes where it's not as much the cultural norm to be a believer. And so we thought the slower, longer, lifelong, um, long-term commitment to ministering in a community, we saw a lot of value in that. And so um, we're grateful that the Lord has called us to kind of approach it that way. Mm, and I'll, I'm just reminded of Acts in the Bible and how they met together and just uh, what is, you'll know it probably more than I will, but the scripture of um, that they were uh, together. They bread in their homes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, they had that together, in their hearts. And sincere hearts. <laughs> yes. yes. And mm -hmm. it, I just visualized that. I mean, mm -hmm. I just see that with y'all, with your church plan. And um, that's neat. That's really, really great. And I think that is um that is a great thing that y'all are in your family as well. That's a, a sweet blessing, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. It really, really is. Well, let me ask you, I know if someone were to hear the name, your name, Amy Gannett, and they're going to think two things. They're going to think theologian, for sure, why theology matters. And then they're going to think charcuterie board, right? Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> so every Sunday, they t they uh, you place a picture of your charcuterie charcuterie board that has cheese and all kinds of yummies on it. Tell us a little bit how that has to do with Sabbath and what people see on your Instagram yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, it's so funny that this has become so much a part of what people know me for. And I have no shame in being known for cheese. That is, <laughs> if I could be associating people's mind with two things, it would be theology and probably cheese. Yes. So I am so thankful for that. But, um, I also, it also came as a surprise because this was such a simple thing that Austin and I grew accustomed to doing, um, early in our marriage. It was such a, it was such a base and simple practice. It was a corrective move for us um, early in our marriage. And I'll explain a little bit about that. Um, but it seemed so um, simple that the fact that it was novel for others said, we're really, there, there's something that the Lord is really doing and rewiring in the church today to teach us what it means to rest. So we started this practice because 
um, we found ourselves becoming more and more weekend warriors. We would wake up on Saturday morning and if we hadn't slept in well, it sort of stirred a little bit of anxiety because it was like, well, we only have one more morning to sleep in and Sunday's church. So it's a little bit less. And so already I'm, it's, it was Sunday, Saturday morning and I was already feeling a little like disappointed with the weekend. And then the day would go on and got to do your grocery shopping and your cleaning and stuff like that. Cause you don't get to it during the week. And then be three o'clock on Saturday and I'd be like, the weekend's almost over. And you know, tomorrow we'll have church. Then we have one more afternoon to enjoy, you know, and it was, it got to this point where every Sunday night I was feeling so anxious because the week was coming and it, I just felt like I couldn't hold on to the weekend enough. And that told me two things. One, um, there's something structurally wrong with my weekend. If I'm waking up on Saturday morning, feeling like the weekend is over, like that's just not a good practice. But second, it was telling, it told me something about how I viewed my work. My work was becoming something to dread and it was becoming a have to instead of something that I felt called into. So I wanted to offer a corrective to both of those. And the Lord, um, just in his kindness gave us the idea to put something at the very end of our week to look forward to. And so we decided that we were going to do a charcuterie board every Sunday night and it, we, it would be our favorite meal of the week. We'd take extra time to um, pick the things that would go on that board. We would um, make fun pastries or we would pick our favorite cheeses or vegetables or olives. We would even spend a little bit more, which in seminary is like two ninety five. You know, we would spend just a little <laughs> bit more on our charcuterie board for Sunday nights. But what that did was it gave us something to look forward to um, at the very end of the weekend. And so um, Sunday would roll around. It would be like we still... Um, our, our very favorite thing is still ahead. It didn't feel like I was dragging my feet into Monday. Instead, I could um, anticipate Sunday nights and it gave us more joy. But it was also this time for us to shut off our phones, to turn off the TV, to eat a meal facing each other and um, reflect on the weekend, reflect on the week and just enjoy time together. Sometimes we do even watch a show because that can be restful. But it was just this time to slow down and be intentional about resting. And so that has both changed our view of rest um, and changed our view of work because it gives us this, um, it, it propels us into the calling of the week instead of us like anxiously trying to avoid Mondays. It gives us this purposefulness and we've just loved it. It's been a really fun tradition and really um, feeding tradition for us, you know, ever since we first got married. Mm. Well, and I think that is super neat to start traditions early and on in your marriage, not necessarily just holidays and things like that, but weekly, especially mm. when it does, when it has to do with rest, because I have just been really, God has been teaching me a lot about rest lately and not just rest on one day, but rest, you know, every day there is a form of rest in, mm -hmm. and I love that you have that as a Sunday because that is our Sabbath or most people, unless mm -hmm. they are in, you know, in ministry, some people take Sabbath on a different day, but, yep. um, but you know, that is, that is a part of it of just savoring, enjoying and slowing down. And so it's I such love a good habit. It's mm -hmm. such a good habit for us to slow down because our world won't teach us to do that. We have mm -hmm. to, as Christians look to God's word and say, even God chose to rest and it wasn't mm -hmm. because he was exhausted. Right. You know, God is, he's a God of limitless power. And yet he created, he did this glorious work and he says, it's all good. And then he chose to rest, which should tell us something, right? Like mm -hmm. that should tell us something about mm -hmm. if we're made in his image, gosh, if we have to rest, we, our power will 
um, run out, but also don't we want to emulate God in a pattern of work and rest, work and rest. And, um, I just think there, there is so much for us to enjoy about mirroring God's character in that way. So, um, mm-hmm. so did you say you, you have like a form of rest every day? Like, do you do the same time? Do you do a same task or like well, the same rhythm? I- I had um, a doctor and she is a believer who wrote a book called um, Sacred Rest. And she talks about Mm. the different types of rest. I had never heard of it. I mean, mental Mm. rest, spiritual rest. I mean, obviously I've heard of spiritual rest, mental rest, emotional rest. Um, One of them is creative rest. And it was talking, and it's such a great book. It's such a great book because it just brings it all that we should be integrating rest in our daily lives. And when we're not, Mm. we're going to be burnt out we're going to, you know, we're not going to be what God, like you said, God created us to rest and then mm. we work from our rest, not to rest. And that has been just a huge thing for me. So I, she suggests to have at least five minutes every day when you are not doing anything that you are sitting in silence. You are not reading. You are not listening to music. You're not on your phone. You're not watching TV. You're not talking. You are sitting quietly for five minutes. And so I really, I don't do it every day, but I I really try to do some kind of form of rest. I sit down to eat lunch. Let me tell you how many times I've been on the go and just grab lunch, grab lunch. No, I sit down and read lunch. Now, do I watch um, little men from Amazon prime? Yes, I did. But that was just a, a form of rest for me is to sit down and actually eat lunch. I started a hashtag last year, hashtag sit down to eat lunch because it's mom running. We're on the go. And so, but it, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about rest and I've never thought about it that way. So I love that you have the, the cheese boards that are just, it's a visual for us to remind ourselves to slow down on Sabbath and to really, like you said, enjoy what God has for us. So I love that. I, that's, I, yeah, that's such a good practice. I'm going to try to incorporate that this week, even just one day, I'm going to try for five minutes. Yeah. I think that's such a good point. I mean, it can be, Mm -hmm. you got to figure out what is restful for you. Um, Yes. hmm. I think we all struggle with that a little bit too. Absolutely. I think we all struggle. I think we've gotten into this habit of thinking that rest is, have you read Andy Crouch's book Mm -hmm. um, on the tech wife family? He distinguishes between rest and leisure. So he's Mm. like, rest may not be watching Netflix. Like it may be, but it may not be. You can't just think it's leisure. You know, Mm -hmm. rest may be going for a walk. And some people may be like, well, I don't want to exercise. And it's like, well, but, but this could be a way that, you know, you enjoy nature. And so like, you know, we have to kind of reevaluate what rest is and what work is. Like you said, there's creative rest. So I don't want to say anytime I'm doing something creative, I'm working, you know, because Uh there are times where that's really filling, but for my husband and I, one of the ways we distinguish is what we have to do and what we get to do. There are things we have to do. I have to send emails. I have to pay the bills. I have to unload the dishwasher. I have to vacuum. You know, some of these things I really don't like to do, but I have to do them. That's a part of being a good steward of what God's entrusted to us. But then there are get to's. You know, we get to sit down to our charcuterie board every Sunday Mm. and we get to go for walks with our baby and our dog. Like these are get to things, you know, that we don't always get to do, but when we're resting, we get to do them. When we have time, we get to do them. And I actually think, um, I know that this is not the question you asked me, but I actually think that's why Sundays, even for some of us who are in ministry, not everybody, but for us at least, that's why Sundays are a day of rest because you get to go to church. Um, I think we've gotten into this 
mindset in the American church that church is a have to. I have to go and then I can check it off my box and gosh, I'm finally done. Thank God. Now I can have the rest of my day to myself. But if we look at the church globally, going to church is a get to. That is a privilege and it is a blessing. And if we go with eyes wide open to see what God's doing, our cup is going to be so filled up. And so for us, Sunday is a day of rest because we get to do church. We get to do our charcuterie board. We get to take naps. And so I think sometimes if we like would look at what really does fill us up and start thinking about rest in those terms, man, we would define rest a lot differently instead of being frustrated. Like, well, I was watching, you know, Netflix and my kid woke up from their nap or, you know, and so now I can't rest because my child's awake, but Honestly, if I give myself time to play on the floor with my daughter during the work week, gosh, that's a get to, Mm -hmm. you know, that's just a real joy and it will fill me up. It really will. And so I think sometimes we have to change categories that we're thinking in. Um, And if we do, we would just be so much more satisfied. Like Mm -hmm. it's not taking anything away. We really, we are the ones who gain by redefining what rest is for ourselves. Well, and I think that get to instead of have to, I think we've even seen that lately as we have, you know, we went through a time last spring where when the pandemic came that we had to stay home from church, Hmm. we were not able to go and what a mind shift uh, mindset shift for us because it wasn't, it might've been a, a have to. And then now we get to, we get Amen. to go. And so that's the cool thing about when our mindset shifts with different things, with rest, with the get to's over the have to's. I love that. I love that you brought yeah. that out. That's good. Hmm. Okay. So a lot of what you speak on, Amy, is about theology and you went to Uh, seminary, you and your husband met in seminary. How do you think, or why do you think theology matters for us? Well, I think it matters because it's sort of the air we breathe. Uh, We think often about being a theologian as somebody who has gone to seminary or somebody who has gone to Bible school. We think that you go somewhere to become a theologian, but theology, it just comes from the Greek word theos, which means God, and ology, which is the suffix we put on anywhere intending the study of. And so our theology is what we believe about God or what we know to be true about God. And so everyone has a theology. You know, the atheist that lives next door has a theology about who God is or is not, or does he exist or does he not? That is their theology. That is their belief system about who God is. Um, somebody who goes to a church and hears the gospel preached week in and week out has a theology of who God is, the God of the gospel, a God of grace, a God of justice, a God of mercy. That is a theology. Um, whether before, before children have opened their Bibles in, um, adolescence, they have a theology, you know, they have a belief about whether or not God exists and what he is like. And is he like an angry father stomping around the upstairs, you know, in the heavens? Is that what he's like? Or is he kind of like, you know, a big jolly Santa type character floating on a cloud. You know, everybody has a theology. And so we who are Christians um, say that our theology comes from the word of God. That's, that is the whole Christian worldview. We say that our belief about God is rooted in the sacred text that he gave us in which he reveals who he is to us. And so we say that our theology comes from the Bible, but the question is, not are you a theologian? You already are a theologian. 
But the question is, are you a biblical theologian? Like, does your theology line up with the word of God? And so I think theology is important because it's the air we breathe. We have a theology. And so it's really essential that we take the time to be good ones, to have theology that mirrors God's word, because God's word is this really astonishing thing. Um, it is God's self-revelation. It is the place where he has sort of pulled back the curtains to eternity and said, like, ta-da, it's me. Like at the end, you know, at the end of a play, they like draw the curtains and the whole cast is out there. And the point is, the point isn't that they're telling a story. The point isn't that there's this narrative going on, but the point is that they are showing you who they are. They've taken their masks off or their costumes off or whatever, and they're taking a bow. When a lot of times we think that God is like the narrator um, telling us a story in the word of God, but that's not what's happening um, only. God is telling us stories, but he's doing it to pull back the curtains and say, ta-da, it's me. Like this is his self-revelation. He's showing us who he is on the pages of um, the Bible. In every one of the 66 books that makes it the Bible, God is revealing himself to us. And so we want to say we are theologians, but we want to be theologians whose theology matches up with the word of God. We, we want to believe that God is who he has said he is. Otherwise, what's going to happen? Um, and I've seen it happen in my own life. I've seen it happen in the life of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I've seen it happen in the lives of, of people in my community is that if we're not intentional to look to the word of God and have theology that lines up with the word of God, if we don't do that, then we're going to have unchecked theological views in sort of the crevices of our mind that may be biblical or not. And those can carry us a long way. You know, if you, if you believe that God is, um, okay, just for one example, this is what I've experienced in my own life. If I believe that God is a father just waiting to be disappointed, like just waiting for me to mess up so he can just shake his head and disappoint me. If I believe that that's God's disposition towards me, then I'm going to become a performer operating out of guilt. And I'm going to try to do good works in order to gain his approval. And I'm going to avoid sinning or messing up because I think he's going to shake his head in disappointment at me. But none of that mirrors the gospel of God's word. None of that reflects who God has said that he is. Um, and it's going to affect how I really live my day-to-day life and what I believe about the message of the gospel being that I don't bring anything to the table of salvation. Christ paid it all. And God loves me because of Christ. I can't. Um, as I am in Christ, I can't please God any more or any less because I'm in Christ. And he calls me to mirror his um, own fatherly, affectionate, holy character. And so I'm going to change my life dramatically based on who I believe God to be. And so it's so important that we have a biblical view of who God is because it's really going to affect our day-to-day life. And it's really going to show up in our worship of God. Mm. Well, and I, I'm going to quote you because this past August, when you were at that the, uh, theology event, it you said God communicates with us in order to reveal himself to us. Mm. And I loved when you said that it was just very clear. And that's why he communicates. That's why he yearns to communicate with us. That's why he's pulling back the curtain so that he can reveal himself to us. And I Mm. I love when you said that. So tell me a little bit about how do we let theology lead us to worship? Hmm. Well, theology is our view of God or what we believe about God. And so I, for me in my own life, and I think this is true of every believer, 
um, when we look at who God is, we can't help but stand in awe of him. And when we stand in awe of him and praise him, when we echo back to him, who he has revealed himself to be in the scriptures, that is worship. When we react to what we're learning of God, whether it be through obedience to the word of God, um, or whether it be through verbal praise or prayer or internal an internal posture of joy and thanksgiving, that is worship. Um, so I think we need to both broaden our definition of theology. Theology isn't just something we go to a classroom to learn. Theology is everything we believe and know to be true about God. And where should we find it? God's word. But we also need to broaden our definition of worship. Worship isn't just what happens when your eyes slip closed and your hands raised during the worship music section of church. Worship is what happens when we internally give God praise, when we verbally give God praise, when we share with our neighbor or with our brother and sister in Christ a testimony of what God has done in our lives. Worship is what happens when I obey God's word. When I'm in a situation where I know that God is calling me to one thing, God's word calls me to one standard and the world calls me to another and I choose to abide by God's standard. That obedience is worship. It's giving him, um, ascribing to him the worth um, that he is due. It's saying, you are more valuable. You are worthy of my obedience. That is worship. So I think we need to broaden both of these because then every place where we believe something about God or learn something about God or know something to be true of him, we are going to live our lives as a result or in reaction to those realities. And that is our worship of God. So we're going to learn that God is a God of justice. And we are going to praise him for that. Say, God, in the areas of my own life where I have felt um, injustice, where I've experienced injustice, where I feel like it's not fair and I um, don't know what to do about it, thank you that you are different. Thank you that you are a God of justice, that you care about the injustice I've experienced. And thank you for inviting me to mirror that aspect of your character. I want to be a justice maker in my own community. That is how our theology of God leads to worship. Or when we see God's generous heart of grace in the gospel, we say, God, you I see it in the scriptures. You are rich in mercy. Paul says several times, God is rich in mercy. He is not a pauper when it comes to pardoning our sins. God is wealthy in mercy to give to his people. And when we see that, we say, God, I need your mercy. My sins require your um, pardon. Thank you that you are rich in mercy. So that is worship. But then we also turn around and say, my brother sinned against me. And I, what I want to do is hold it over his head. I don't mm. want to be merciful, but God, you are rich in mercy. And out of the abundance of mercy that I've received, I'm extending that same grace and pardon and forgiveness to my brother. That is how our view of God, our belief that God is rich in mercy, transforms our daily lives of worship. Um, as we internally praise God, as we verbally praise God, and as we live lives of obedient submission to God, all of those are aspects of worship. And so who we believe God to be is going to show up in our daily lives. So it's important that we know who God really is that, so that we can live out that theology, that belief in who God is in our daily lives of discipleship and worship. Mm. And that's so important to us. And it starts with knowing the God of the Bible. It starts with knowing mm. God and going to the scriptures. And I'm going to quote you again. You said, approach your Bible with delight, studiously, desperately, and with anticipation. So how can we do that in a practical sense? How can we approach our Bible with delight, studiously, and desperately with anticipation? How can we do that? 
Hmm. Well, I think with um, the word of God, a lot of us, again, feel like this is a have to, we have to have our daily quiet times. But the truth is, is God, when we look at the language that the Bible uses to describe itself, it uses like just self-revelation. So the God who existed before time has chosen to reveal himself to us. We do not deserve that. Um, yet he made that available to us in his mercy. Um, it's, it calls it our daily bread, the thing that we need to sustain our spiritual lives. It calls um, the word of God this like central substance of our Christian faith. And so um, we should stand in awe of the fact that the God before time chose to give us the word. Um, he chose to give us the Bible. And so that gives us great delight in studying it. Um, and we experience this. So that's like our view of the Bible, right? That's kind of the big picture. But we, we, this touches down in our lives when we have quiet times. And we say, God, this is something that I get to do every day. I get to sit with you. I get to sit and look at your word, study it, delight in it, savor it, chew it over. Um, dive deep into it, you know, ask questions of it. I get to do this um, every time I'm in your word. Um, and I think we approach our Bible studiously when we take the time to discover the answers to questions that we um, have as we're studying the Bible. If we come across a difficult verse and we're like, well, that doesn't make a bit of sense to me. <laughs> I don't know what how that is supposed to apply to my life. Um, instead of just moving past it, let's ask some good questions. Is there cultural context here for the original audience that I don't know about that helps it make sense? Um, is there a language barrier? Was this, you know, originally written in another language? We know that it was. Um, is there, is there something that I can understand by understanding why, um, this was said to this audience in this time and in this place. Is there a reason why these words were chosen? Um, is there another place in the Bible where this concept is addressed that might give clarity to what it's saying here? So when we don't rush past our questions, but we sit in them, we're actually taking the time to get to know the God of the Bible. It's a way that we give him honor by, you know, sitting and, you know, savoring his word, but by also studiously um, approaching the Bible. So I think these are just some practical ways that as we sit in our daily quiet time, we have the opportunity to be both intentional and disciplined, but also delight and enjoy um, the richness of God's word. Mm. Tell me one practical tip that you share of how to get from opening our Bible to understanding a little bit. Definitely look at the context, the cultural context, like you said. Is there another way that you would say that it's just a super practical um, thing that we can do when we open up the Word? Yeah, so one of my favorite, I think actually probably the most overlooked first step in studying our Bibles mm -hmm. is to read our Bibles multiple times mm. to read a passage. If you're studying a passage, read it multiple times and then read it out loud if you can, because you're just going to see so much more than you would otherwise. Mm. Uh, I think a lot of times we come to a verse and we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. I might read the verse or the two verses twice. And then all of a sudden I've reached for commentaries or something. And it's like, wait a second, mm -hmm. read the words themselves many times. So right now I'm studying the book of Obadiah and absolutely loving it. Obadiah is 21 verses. So if I read it from the beginning to end, it takes seven minutes. So why would I not read it as, in this season? I'm going to study Obadiah for probably about two months in my quiet time. Why would I not read the entire book every day? 
There's no mm-hmm. reason not to do that. It only takes me seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first day I, the first day of my study in the book of Obadiah, I read the book five times and it mm-hmm. took me like 20 seven minutes or something like that. It just doesn't take that long. Mm-hmm. And so we just, we want to be people who read the word and um, allow ourselves to start observing, oh, this word comes up a lot. Um, I keep seeing this phrase, the day of the Lord or in that day, or, you know, I, and I want to figure out more about that. And I keep seeing this language of judgment or wrath or, you know, these words keep coming up in the book of Obadiah. Okay, let me make note of that. And then let me just keep reading it front to back, front to back, front to back and start observing things that keep coming up. It's going to give us a much clearer sense of what that book is about or what a certain passage is about when we just read it multiple times and read it out loud so that we can hear ourselves, our own voices mulling the words over. I think that that is um, very often overlooked in study. Mm, Um, I do. That's no, I was going to say that is such a really good tip. Very practical. I love it. Okay. Keep going. And anybody can do it right? Mm. You don't have to go to seminary. You just have to be able to read. I mean, you just have to be able to read your Bible. So I do have a resource available for people that want to study, learn to study their Bible verse by verse. It's called the Bible study schoolhouse and it's free. It's just a five video tutorial session on how to study your Bible verse by verse. So if people want to look at that, um, it's at biblestudyschoolhouse.com. So it's a really easy way to kind of start dipping your toes in those waters. Perfect. That was my next question is I know you have created a ton of resources and courses. And so tell us a little bit about what's coming next for Amy Gannett (laughs) in helping us to study our Bibles. And then what do you have available right now? So my, um, I have a library of exegetical Bible studies um, that I've written. They're all available digitally and more and more are becoming available in print. Um, But I do verse by verse Bible studies. That is um, what I write. And it's what I love to do. I like helping people slow down and go through the Bible verse by verse, doing the deep dive. So people who like the historical context, um, who like looking at cultural background, who like um, knowing the different genres of biblical literature. So understanding poetry and um, wisdom literature and historic literature and um, New Testament narratives, that sort of thing. Prophecy. People who like looking at those sorts of things are going to really enjoy these studies um, because we consider all of it. I love, that's how I love studying the Bible. So I want to make that available um, to other people. So I have a study on Philippians and Lamentations, a study on Sabbath rest, a study called Woven on the Meta Narrative of Scripture that looks at a different Greek or Hebrew word um, every day of the study in order to tie together the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. So this is just a few of them. Um, it is, this is airing in January. So we've just gone through Grafted In, which is a study for Advent on the family tree of Christ, tracing the lineage of Jesus from Abraham to the manger and looking at all the misfits that God chose to invite into his um, family tree into the family line that led to the Messiah. Um, so all of these resources are available at amygannett.study. Um, along with the Bible study schoolhouse, you can find that there. Um, and then I do have a book coming out, um, in September, um, and it is called fix your eyes, how theology leads us to worship. And I'm very excited about it. Um, it's structured like a systematic theology, 
Um, and so it covers different major theological concepts, but then helps us find how those theological concepts come to bear in our daily lives of worship and discipleship. So um, there's a chapter looking at the Trinity. Where does the Trinity show up in our daily life of worship? And the incarnation, the fact that God became man, where does that show up in our daily life of worship? Um, the Holy Spirit and the church and a doctrine of final things or the end times. How do these, how does what we believe about God um, show up in our lives of worship? So that's what that um, book is going to be all about. And again, it's going to be released um, this September. That's great. And that's going a lot more deep of what we kind of just touched the surface on uh, talking about uh, worship and the word and um, God's word and how we can see that in our worship. So I love that. We'll have to definitely look at that, man. Thank you so much for coming on. I do have fun, three fun, quick questions for you that I ask every guest. Okay. Are you up for it? (laughs) Okay. All right. So the first one is what are you eating? What are you reading? And then third is what are you loving? Oh, okay. So what am I eating? Um, (laughs) I like to eat, you know, I love to eat. So, (laughs) um, so this season of being a stay-at-home parent and having um, Austin, my husband, home as well, has made for really intentional lunches. It used to be that we always packed lunches or I would do a smoothie. Um, and so lunch was very overlooked, but now we do sit-down lunches. So when you were talking about that, I was like, yes, amen to the sit-down lunch. So <laughs> yeah. my favorite thing right now, well, this week, I, okay. I shouldn't say right now, it's not like a long season. I, I'm on a different kick every week. Okay. But this week, I am doing hummus plates. So I'll do a big glob of hummus uh-huh. and I'll kind of spread it out over a plate. And then I'll add chickpeas and chopped tomatoes and um, feta and a drizzle of olive oil and fresh cracked pepper and some lemon juice. And then I will eat it with cucumber slices and pita. And it looks really fancy, but it is so easy to make. So that's my lunch these days. And it's so satisfying. Okay. Um, so what I am reading, I'm, I'm always reading several books. So right now I'm enjoying several Obadiah commentaries, um, which have just been delightful. But I finished recently Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's the heart of Christ for sinners and sufferers. Um, you just have to read it. It is such a sweet book, and I cannot believe that nobody has written a book on the heart of Christ like he has. It's just such a joy. So highly okay. recommend Um, and then what am I loving? Mm. I am loving this season of getting to know my neighbors because I have so many stay at home parents or people that are now working from home, um, where they weren't before. And because very few of us are venturing out much into public, um, most of us are staying home, but many of us are in our yards. So at a safe distance, we can say hi. And I've gotten to know my neighbors so much more than I ever thought. And probably more than I ever would have should COVID not have happened. So that's a blessing in the midst of um, the storm of 2020 has been, I've gotten to know so many of my neighbors on a much deeper level than I would have otherwise been blessed that's awesome. with. Uh, yeah. What a blessing. Unexpected things. Such a gift. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Well, I do want to say to everybody, go check out Amy on Instagram because she has theolo- uh, theology Thursdays. And I have seen a few of those and they are really good. And I love that you get on there and talk uh, through some of those things. And uh, so where are you on Instagram? 
Um, Amy Kate Gannett with a C. So A-M-Y-C-A-T-E-G-A-N-N-E-T-T. Amy Kate Gannett. All yeah. Right. Yes. Y'all go find her over there. Thank you so much, Amy, for coming so on the sweet. show today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for listening to the Friends of a Feather podcast today. I pray you were encouraged. And if you were, I want to connect you with our Friends of a Feather community. So something new I'm starting in 2021 is every month I will be hosting a Friday Zoom meetup for all Friends of a Feather podcast listeners to connect and talk about the episodes from the month. I'm really excited and I would love for you to join in. You can go to my website at renrobbins.com and on the homepage there, you can find out all the information. It's a free group, but it's a really great way for us to all share about the episodes, share some takeaways and have community together. So I will see you in that Zoom room the last Friday of every month. Remember, we are all friends of a feather, so let's stick together. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time. Bye, friends.